Welcome to the Jill on Money Coronavirus Market Update. It is Tuesday, July 21st, and we are very grateful that you're joining us today. There's a heat wave. Things are hot, sticky where I am. I hope you're staying cool. And I hope that you're staying cool when it comes to your financial life. If you've got a financial question, if you've got an economic question, you don't understand something going on in the universe, why don't you give us a shout? Our email address is askjill at jillonmoney.com. Ask Jill at jillonmoney.com. This is from Anne who writes, many thanks to you and the team. That's Mark. We are a team of two. It's almost like we're a mixed doubles team, Mark. That's that's the way we should think of ourselves. Many thanks to you and the team for what you do and all the knowledge and wisdom you share with us. I don't have a specific question, but I did want to add a little something about the donor advised fund topic for the next time it comes up. Oh, I love these donor advised funds, by the way. It's a great way to give money away. Um, and it's really easy to do. And a lot of the big major investment houses have them. It just gives you a lot of control over your charitable giving. Okay. But Anne writes, it could be helpful to mention that community foundations commonly have the ability to provide a donor advised fund. That's kind of cool. That's a good thing to remember, especially because a lot of people want to reach out and give money to their own communities. And these community foundations are great because they act as a funnel and they do a lot of vetting for people. Okay. So when a community foundation does provide a donor advised fund, it allows the donor to keep the funds in the community. It may be important to giving goals. No requirement to make grants from the fund to local organizations, but the community foundation, which does support local charities, would benefit from the fees generated from the donor advised funds. Excellent. That's so good. Okay. Thanks for everything you do. Stay well, Anne. Very good one. I like that, Anne. And I like the idea of giving right now because we could all use a little bit of giving. Okay. This is from Subrat who says, I wrote about estate planning and he said it was very helpful. It spurred me to finally act. Can you tell me the pros and the cons of using an online service such as Quicken or LegalZoom versus hiring a lawyer? Basically, is it worthwhile to pay extra for a lawyer? Well, look, I mean, It is worth it, especially if you have some complications. You know, there are some people that are going to need more handholding, more conversations, and there may be real complications in terms of a business or there's lots of real estate. So in those more complicated circumstances, I absolutely think a lawyer is really important. If it's a simple will, I leave everything to you, honey. You leave everything to me. That's called a sweetheart will. Or maybe you're single and there's maybe no children involved and there's no no complications. That's when I think the online can really be helpful. Now, it's also important for me to recognize that for a lot of people, if if online is just the only way you're going to do it, just do it. Don't worry about it. I don't care. Do something. That's what I would ask. Okay, this is from Gary, who says he's a longtime listener. He's a first-time emailer, and he loves the podcast. My wife and I are buying a second home close to the beach. It will be where we retire. We're both 68. My wife is retired. I've got two to three years to go. We're set up very well with our retirement accounts, approximately $2.1 million, Social Security, and pensions. The second home we're buying costs $600,000. I currently have $500,000 in uh, CDs and savings accounts readily available. 
I'm using 400 of this cash as a down payment towards the house. It will leave us with $100,000 in our emergency fund, which represents approximately one year of expenses. My question, should I get a mortgage for the $200,000 balance on the second home or should I borrow from my existing home equity line of credit? The current rate is three and a half percent. I'll only need the loan for two to three years. Oh, that's when we will sell our current home valued at 730 grand. Hmm. So he'll basically sell the, the existing home, take proceeds, pay off the mortgage or the line of credit. Uh, thanks in advance, Gary. Hmm. Well, okay. I think that actually this might make sense. Just know that, of course, as if interest rates do rise, which I don't suspect in your time horizon they are going to rise, you know, that home equity line of credit, that pricing could rise also if it's adjustable. So it's not a terrible idea and it might actually save you some money on the mortgage origination. Amazingly, I don't usually give this advice, but in your case, Gary from Baltimore, yes, I actually think that could work for you. Okay. I know it's a drag guys. I know you don't want to have a break, but we're going to have a quick break because Mark and I got to pay some bills and, uh, you know, we've gone a long time, but in between having some podcast sponsors. So just bear with us. We'll, we'll get it down. And, and I promise that we'll be right back after this message and get back to your questions. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, we are back. Back to your questions. If you have a financial question, don't forget, ask Jill at jillonmoney.com. Ask Jill at jillonmoney.com. If you're on our website, which is conveniently called Jill on Money, uh, you can reach us through the contact button. It's in the upper right-hand corner. Greg writes, I love the show. My wife and I are retired public school teachers in Oregon. We have combined over a million dollars in retirement, a half in traditional IRA, a quarter in Roth, and a quarter annuities. We live off of our pensions and additional monies that we make from coaching and substitute teaching, about $115,000 a year. Our only expense is we have a house and we owe $54,000 on it. Um, it's worth 500 grand. My, I am 62. My wife is 63. Neither of us have started social security. We were hoping to hold off as long as we can to see those numbers grow, but we are not sure if one schools will be back in session for us to substitute teacher coach Two, even if schools were to open up, do we want to at our age, take the risk of getting a coronavirus by being around the kids in the classroom or athletic practices? We're both healthy. We've got no underlying medical issues. Since the middle of March, we've lost out on $10,000 of money uh, from coaching, subbing, basketball camps based on the last five-year average. Should we continue to wait on Social Security and tap some of the retirement monies if and when we need them, or should we start Social Security? We are faithful listeners of the podcast. Stay safe. I'm wearing my mask. Well, I mean, look, it doesn't sound like you're making that much money from the coaching and substitute teaching. It's really probably mostly your pension. So um, I am inclined to at least, first of all, I wouldn't, I would certainly wouldn't do anything right now. I would wait to see 
how this thing pans out. It sounds to me like if you had to for the next, let's say, six months to a year, you could float your your retirement and wait a year at least to see what really happens. Um, remember, every time somebody claims their social security benefit early, know what is essentially occurring is that you are taking a reduced amount for the rest of your life. So I would wait and see and instead maybe use the money that you have set aside to float you and see where we go from there. The other thing is that maybe if you're outside in terms of coaching, you could maybe do it. Maybe your wife doesn't want to if she's indoors. Maybe you see how things progress. Anna writes, I want to open an IRA. I'm not sure which one. I'm leaning towards a Roth because I don't want to pay taxes when I retire and pull the money out. I'd like to contribute the max, which is 7000 It's actually 6000 You can put an extra 1000 in if you're over the age of 50. My salary is about $48,000 a year. Hey, in general, I do like the Roth because it is a, you know, you know what your tax liability will be in the future. So if if you qualify and you can afford it, great. Don't put so much money in the Roth, though, that it leaves you with not enough money to live. 48000 I know, is not a ton of money. Tamara writes, I've been enjoying the podcast. My spouse's company is pushing deferred compensation plans, and I've got two questions about that. The deferred comp proponents who are selling the plans say pre-tax growth is a faster way to grow money. However, I often hear that the Roth for 401ks and IRAs is the way to go. Are there factors indicating traditional is better at certain times? When should people consider switching contributions to a traditional other than limit income limits? I've also heard that deferred comp can lower your effective income, which may actually lower the parent contribution for college costs as the guidelines outlined by FAFSA say. Two of our children are quickly approaching college age. Assuming the pandemic does not stall their opportunities, is the deferred comp a viable option or are we better off putting the part we would defer into 529s? I'm just trying to think of potential growth and tax implications. Okay, so thank you so much. You know, this is an interesting question, and here's why. Obviously, a, a pre-tax plan will reduce your income, and that is good. And it will be good if you're applying for financial aid. But depending on how much money you make, you may not actually qualify for too much financial aid. So there's there's the rub, okay? If you are talking about retirement versus funding college, then I would always choose retirement first before you put money in the 529. But if we find that you are actually making a lot of money, you probably wouldn't be able to qualify for any sort of major financial aid anyway, then we're back to Roth versus traditional. And again, the Roth is you pay the tax that's due today. And if your tax bracket is in a low bracket, well, relatively low, I should say, if you're, if you, so everyone thinks they pay too much in taxes, but that's not necessarily the case. But if you are in a tax bracket, let's say of 22 or 24%, you may really want to think about using that Roth because I think tax rates are going up in the future. And it sure would be better to pay the tax due at a rate that we think is going to be lower than where we believe it's going to be in the future. Okay. Hope that helps. Okay. That is it. That's where we have gone from beginning to end, a bunch of questions, a few advertisements, and you're still on your way for a beautiful day ahead, I hope. Just remember, as always, please, please, please try 
to maintain your calm, centered approach to your money. Wash your hands, wear your masks, maintain your physical distancing, do something nice for somebody. And don't forget, if you got a question, send us an email, askjill at jillonmoney.com ask jill at jillonmoney.com and if you're on the website you can reach us there you can also sign up for our free weekly newsletter okay we will talk to you tomorrow thank you for listening